As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. I was told, and I'm shocked by it, but that is considered secret and confidential that it cannot be released to the public. You have to assume the worst has happened. What are you hiding? That we're having this information all managed and stored and handled by essentially a dark agency. And once it goes into that dark agency, it never sees the light of day again. There need to be other steps. There needs to be transparency. There needs to be accountability. This in the big picture is something that's very dangerous. How would it go over if you tried to block your boss from seeing your work? That's what's happening during this public health crisis. Only you're the boss, and the government leaders who are supposed to work for you are shutting you out. From the Fox 6 studios, this is Open Record. I'm Amanda St. Hilaire, here with my colleague Brian Polson. Hey, Brian. Good morning, Amanda. Good morning. We are bringing you new episodes of Open Record each day, Monday through Friday, to make it easier to sort through all of this coronavirus news. We are recording this episode on Tuesday morning, April 28th, and this episode of Open Record is about, of all things, open records and how difficult it is to get basic information related to COVID-19 in Wisconsin. We're going to show you that struggle by sharing two stories the silence surrounding a COVID-19 outbreak at the Patrick Cudahy plant and the denial of email and voting records at the state capitol. Let's start with Patrick Cudahy. Brian, for people who have not been following your reporting, what's going on there? Well, simply put, there's a big outbreak of COVID-19 at the Patrick Cudahy plant. The question is just how big? And the answer, well, your government leaders refuse to say. For background, Patrick Cudahy is a meat processing plant in, of all places, Cudahy, Wisconsin, owned by Smithfield Foods, which itself is a subsidiary of WH Foods, a Chinese company. Now, that fact hasn't been lost on those prone to conspiracy theories, but of course, we're not going to go there in this podcast. What is important here to know is that Smithfield Foods owns meat processing plants all across the country, and many of them have seen serious outbreaks of COVID-19. The most notorious outbreak so far has been tied to Smithfield's Sioux Falls, South Dakota plant, which has seen approximately 900 employees test positive for COVID-19. At least one of those employees we now know is dead. And I know that that's made national news, Brian. So when did you start to hear about the outbreak here at Patrick Cudahy? Well, back in early April, we started getting phone calls and emails from animal rights activists who already sort of have a grudge against Smithfield Foods and a former union representative for the employees at Patrick Cudahy. And because we've talked about this before on this podcast, because of the nature of that source, someone who already had uh, maybe you'd say an axe to grind with with a plant that obviously processes meat from animals, 
I was cautious about the initial tip. They knew at the time, they said, of at least two positive cases, and that wasn't an outrageous number. We'd been hearing of multiple positive cases in various types of uh, employers and facilities, nursing homes and other places. But they started putting me in touch with employees who worked at the plant, and I wanted to speak with people who were directly involved in the situation. And one after another, I started getting more and more phone calls. Some of those employees, many of them in fact, are Spanish-speaking immigrants, and some needed translators, but they got translators, and we talked, and, and none wanted to be identified. They rely on those jobs, those incomes, so as hard as it is to work under those conditions, they need the income. All of the ones I spoke to were either positive cases themselves or had been in direct contact with family members or co-workers who they say had tested positive. And at the time, again, this was early April, the first couple of weeks, they said they could name at least six people they knew of for sure who tested positive, but they believed the case count was much higher than that. And that's when we filed our first open records request with the city of Cudahy. And I get this question a lot in our reporting. Why file a formal open records request instead of just asking the city for the numbers? Well, in this case, actually, the first thing I did was just to ask the city for numbers. I contacted the uh, city of Cudahy's health officer um, and said, do you guys know how many cases have been tied to the Patrick Cudahy plant? I didn't receive a response initially uh, from the health officer. I got a contact back from, uh, of all things, a PR person for the mayor of Cudahy. Um, and that seemed unusual to me because I hadn't asked to speak to the mayor at all. I tried to talk to the health officer. And this PR person who contacted me, a former PIO for the Milwaukee Police Department, Andy Schwartz, said she was doing some work on behalf of the city of Cudahy. So that was already a red flag. It's sort of unusual to ask for information from a city government official and get a call back from an independent public relations person. That, that made me think we're dealing with something that may be a little bigger deal than, than uh, we otherwise, otherwise might have thought. But of course, of course, it's no confirmation of that. Ultimately, I got a response back from the city health officer that said, um, you'll need to file a formal open records request for this information. So I did. And they essentially, in their view, that was a way of letting the city attorney decide, are these records that need to be released under the law? If so, we'll give them to you. But we're going to let our legal staff make that determination. So I made the formal open records request and uh, again, heard back from the mayor's staff. I ended up speaking to the mayor and they still weren't giving me a number of cases. They knew there was a concern, but they wouldn't tell us the number. And in fact, as I recall, the mayor actually told me something very different. He said their own health officer had no way of knowing how many cases there were at the Patrick Cudahy plant because the people who test positive those cases are reported to their local health department depending on where they live. And therefore, if they don't live in Cudahy, they just work in Cudahy, it would be a different health department that would get the information. So the initial story I was working on was to say, there's an outbreak here and we have no way of knowing how many people it is because the health department just doesn't know. And when the health officer got wind of our intentions of doing that story, I think that prompted a change in the approach because I don't think the health office there, officer there really wanted it to be reported that they don't know what's going on. That's what they do. This is their job during a pandemic is to do that kind of contact tracing and the work to put together the information. Where do people work who've tested positive? Is there a cluster? Is there something we should be uh, concerned about? So they do know. As it turns out, the mayor was wrong. They do know. They just weren't saying. 
And after that initial open records request and uh, 24 hours or more of wrangling over it, I got a response that said the number of cases at Patricutta Hay had jumped from nine the week prior to 28 on April 15th. And that's the day we broke the story of 28 cases at the Smithfield plant that same day. In fact, within the same hour the information was released, Smithfield Foods had announced they were closing the Patricot Hay plant for two weeks for a cleaning and disinfection of the facility. So where did the story go from there? Because that's just the beginning. It was just the beginning. And in fact, after we did the story announcing the closure of the facility, we started hearing from employees who said, well, wait a minute. I went to work today and they said, we still have to come to work. They're not closing after all. In fact, what they're doing is a rolling closure. And what that means is they were keeping certain departments operating while other departments were shut down for cleaning and disinfection. And soon enough, Smithfield Foods acknowledged that it was a rolling closure, not a complete closure. And of course, that concerned some employees who said, I still have to go to work even after we know of a pretty significant outbreak, substantial outbreak of 28 cases, uh, and they were in the position of either lose your job, uh, you know, stop coming to work, lose your job, or come to a place where you know there's an outbreak. That's a difficult spot to be in. We do know at that point that Smithfield Foods had started doing more in terms of thermal temperature checks when people would arrive for work. We were told they were trying to do more to increase the social distance between workers on the assembly line um, and that they were at least giving lip service to the idea that they were providing uh, PPE to the various employees. We've heard some reports that not everyone was getting masks and other things, but they were doing more at that point. The big question became, okay, they're starting this rolling shutdown. But we know there's a lag in the reporting of a number of positive cases, meaning by the time we knew there were 28, there were probably more, but we were going to have to wait for symptoms to surface and wait for testing to be done and results to come in. So inevitably, there's going to be growth in that number. It went from 9 to 28. Just how high would it go? So last week, I sent a second request for records and uh, waited to hear back just how many cases are there now. And what happened when you filed that request? Well, for the first three days, absolutely nothing happened. I got no response at all, not even an acknowledgement that they'd received my email. And I sent that email on April 21st. Four days later, on Saturday, April 25th, I got an email back from someone I hadn't even submitted it to from an office secretary for the city of Cudahy. Now, I sent the open records request to the health officer and the mayor. The response came from an office secretary who said, the offices are shut down. We're dealing with a health emergency, and our focus is on that. So we're not going to be able to comply with this request. You shouldn't expect to hear from us for at least three weeks. And I'm reading this on a Saturday when I'm not even at work, and I thought, are are, are you kidding me, three weeks? So before, you were able to get that number fairly quickly, but now all of a sudden they're saying it's going to take three weeks? And, and from my perspective, it, yes, the, the the response to that or the, the, the sort of interpretation you have to have from the end of the requester is, well, you gave it to me last time and it wasn't great news. This time you're saying, well, never mind, we're just going to put it off for three weeks. We, we can all imagine that government agencies are strapped right now and they are, you know, the offices are shut down. It is harder to do all of the duties that government is required to do. And fulfilling open records requests is part of a government agency's normal duties. Um, So you can expect there to be some delay. I think that's reasonable. But when you were able to answer the question within 24 hours the first time, we know that you deemed it to be a public record. You deemed the information to be worthy of release and you did it quickly. Um, Now 
a week or two later, you're saying we can't do this for at least three weeks. It raises some questions about what changed, why, and was this really a legal denial or, or delay in releasing that information? And what's the significance of not being able to quickly access the information that you were looking for? Well, imagine we're talking about an outbreak that is changing day by day. And if you have to wait three weeks to find out just how big the outbreak was three weeks ago, that information doesn't do the community a whole lot of good. If the number of cases has gone from 28 to 100 or 200, as it has at uh, packing facilities in Green Bay and other places around the country, that's a significant concern, and it's one that doesn't just affect workers at the plant, because those workers go home. And we already know that in Hispanic communities on the south side of Milwaukee, there has also been a spike in cases. And the question is, what's the link between the two? I, I interviewed a Milwaukee County supervisor, Stephen Shea, who lives in Cudahy, just walking distance from the Patrick Cudahy plant. And he said, you don't have to be an epidemiologist to see the connection between an outbreak at the plant and a spike in cases in a community where many of the uh, employees of the plant live. So we're seeing now whatever's happening at that plant potentially infecting the larger community, their family members, their children, their neighbors, uh, the people they grocery shop with. Now, Smithfield Foods may argue it's the reverse, that the outbreak in the community is what caused people to bring this stuff into the plant. And it's hard to say chicken or the egg, but really in the end, that's why it's important for the public to know where are the cases? How bad is it so that the public can be prepared to address and respond in an appropriate way? Well, and I do want to point out that government agencies are required to respond to open records requests as soon as practicable and without delay. So when we see uh, that it's going to take some time to fulfill an open records request, usually that's because, okay, we have to spend this amount of time tracking down the records. That's, that's usually what we see. In this case, if they have to really dig to find these records, we have a whole different problem here in this public health crisis if we don't have health departments that are monitoring and able to easily access this information. But my suspicion is that they do have this information at their fingertips, and that's where we get into the question of, is this a legal delay in providing you with the information? Well, and that's where I think it's really important to point out here that the Cudahy Health Department currently wants to talk to the media, but is not being allowed by the mayor to talk to the media. I had asked the Cudahy Health Officer for an interview about how they track outbreaks like the one at Patrick Cudahy, how they do the contact tracing once they get positive results, and, and just what they're doing to try to keep track of the size and scope of the outbreak. And the response I got was that the mayor of Cudahy has prohibited her, does not allow her or will not allow her to make any comments to the media about the Smithfield situation. I asked the mayor about that, um, and I also asked him why they were not responding to this request in a timely fashion for updated information. His response to me was something entirely different. He said that he was relying on the advice of his health officer and other health officials in Milwaukee County who've said that they shouldn't be releasing testing results at this time of the number of cases at specific facilities. And he said, including our health officer, which I find unusual when you consider he's saying that my health officer is telling me not to tell you how many there are, but the health officer says he's telling me I can't tell you how many there are. So who's advising whom? Who's blocking whom? The mayor's story seems to keep changing. He uh, has told other news outlets 
that he was, in fact, advised by a state attorney um, for the state of Wisconsin not to release the information because they are state records. Well, the uh, a state representative that represents the city of Cudahy and other uh, areas on the south side, um, State Representative Christine Siddiqui, talked to the governor's office and confirmed that no one at the state, the Department of Justice, no one at the state level, recalls having any conversation with the mayor of Cudahy, and they certainly would not advise him that he can't release this information. So wh- whoever he's claiming he spoke to, the government is saying he didn't, and, and Representative Sinicki says she believes that he's lying about that. She believes he's in violation of state law. So there's a real controversy going on in Cudahy, but the, the question at the end of the day is, should you know just how big the outbreak is at a major employer in your community and, and many public officials we've talked to are saying, absolutely, you should know. Transparency is important. Accountability is important. How did it get this big? Did Smithfield do what it was supposed to do early enough to try to stem the tide of this thing? And when we don't get that sort of information, you don't get it. And when you don't know, there could be a real additional danger to you and, and your family. Of course, this struggle to get public records isn't just happening at the local level. Amanda, you've investigated the information a state legislative bureau is keeping secret. Tell us about that. Yeah, Brian, usually we're the ones calling state lawmakers about public records issues, but this time a state lawmaker called us. The only thing would be is to put a little sunshine and let people know about exactly what's happening. That's state Senator Tim Carpenter, a Democrat who represents District 3, the Milwaukee area. The Senate's virtual session about COVID-19 was a rough one for Carpenter. He kept trying to speak, introduce floor amendments, and the Senate president said he was violating the rules and repeatedly cut him off. Mr. President, I've been pressing the button to request to uh, raise an inquiry or to... Senator from the third, all I need right now is a yay or a nay. I'll give you one more opportunity here before we move on. How do you wish to have your vote recorded? I wish to be recognized, Mr. President, and you're ignoring my... Senator from the third, we are going to move on. Carpenter wanted to know who else was trying to speak, which senators had requested tech support. What were the communications with Senate leaders leading up to the virtual session? So we filed an open records request with the Legislative Technology Services Bureau, or LTSB as most people know it. As you can probably guess, LTSB denied his request, saying the information was confidential. Right off the bat, the thing that stands out to me is just this agency or this bureau, the LTSB. I don't think most people have probably heard of it. They probably don't know what it does. What is the Legislative Technology Services Bureau and what does it do? LTSB was started in 1997. And as technology has evolved, really so has its role in the legislature. It is a nonpartisan bureau. The idea is that it will provide technological services and support to the Wisconsin legislature. So examples of things uh, that go through LTSB include, in addition to tech support, software for bill drafting, software for the virtual session. I mean, they essentially were running this recent virtual session and making sure things went smoothly and making sure there weren't any software glitches. In addition to that, there's elections data that goes through them. There's redistricting data. They also keep what we think of as your typical public records information. So employee payroll, personnel files, expenses, uh, their email and electronic communications. 
And then on top of that, they act as an electronic storage closet for the legislature. So they basically have uh, what you could think of as backup copies of every single electronic communication that passes through the legislature. So this is a bureau that even though you've probably never heard of it, it actually has a lot of power and does a lot to make sure that the legislative process runs smoothly. Well, so these are really the tech support guys, the IT guys for the state legislature. But I think we mo- most of us would think of you know the IT person at our own employer being the one who makes sure that the information keeps flowing and doesn't disappear, don't necessarily think of them having a lot of power over that information. Yeah, I think that that's how a lot of us think of it in terms of our workplaces. But in this case, especially with the virtual session, they are in possession of records. So, for example, when uh, senators had to press a button to speak or to try to be heard, all of that is something that presumably is kept on file. It is part of the process that's supposed to be kept on record. And in this case, it's going through LTSB. So Senator Carpenter wanted to see those actions, which in a typical in-person session, you'd be able to just see in real time, right? But because it's happening virtually, it's happening over this software that the LTSB had developed. And he also wanted to see email communications. We request emails all the time, right? So he wanted to know what the Senate president and Senate majority leader had been saying to LTSB in the time leading up to this virtual session. So what exactly, again, was it that Senator Carpenter was trying to get? And why do we care so much about those records that he was denied? He compares the records he was trying to get to essentially getting a roll call. Right. Which is something that when um, our state lawmakers vote, it's important that we see how they voted. It's important that we see the process that led up to it, what amendments they tried to introduce, the times they tried to speak, when they tried to be heard. So because he had his own frustrations with trying to speak, trying to be heard, not being recognized, he wanted to be able to see Who else had the same problems? He wanted to see how many requests for tech support were there. Were there people who were legitimately trying to be heard and either weren't able to because they weren't being recognized on purpose or because there was a technological problem? And then, like I referenced before, those communications leading up to the virtual session. So these are all things that we would typically think of as a public record, but Senator Carpenter was told in a response from LTSB that these records are confidential. And open records attorneys, we spoke to two of them, April Barker and Tom Kamenek, who do a lot of work in this area, and both of them said that it is really concerning if the public can't see what these communications are and can't see essentially the actions that their own state lawmakers try to take during a session that is supposed to be available for public viewing. And there's very little that is really more in the public interest than what our legislative body is doing and why it, it's being done. And and so it really strikes me as, a, 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 I guess, a very important question. Why would this information be confidential? What would be the justification for keeping this kind of information out of public view? What did, what did LTSB say? In LTSB's denial of Carpenter's request, the letter quotes Wisconsin Statute 13.96, and that's the law that outlines the responsibilities of LTSB. So 
in that statute, it essentially says that the Bureau has a responsibility to protect confidential data. It sounds a lot in that letter like the interpretation is that any data that LTSB has is confidential, according to their viewpoint. And that's what raised red flags with open records attorneys, because they're saying we have a big problem here if this entire bureau with expansive responsibilities is saying all of their data is confidential. Now, I emailed LTSB and the director replied back to me and said that is not their position, but he wouldn't say what about Carpenter's request was confidential. He said they evaluate each open records request as it comes in. They don't get very many, um, but he he wouldn't elaborate on what made this confidential. And the open records attorneys we spoke to said they can't think of a reason under the open records law why the public would be barred from accessing this information. Certainly there are, are legitimate reasons sometimes that people can't see records. If they're going to expose data to a cybersecurity threat, for example, or if there is uh, personal information like someone's social security number. But that doesn't appear to be what Senator Carpenter is requesting. And LTSB wasn't clear on what exactly made that confidential. And that's why transparency advocates are so concerned about this. Well, I hear this and I just think yeah, there's a lot of legal mumbo jumbo going on there. This site, this this statute says this. And so therefore we can't, it's not, that's not an expl. That may be a, a legal justification. That's not an explanation of why. And I think really to, to, to ask why would this information be needed, need to be shielded from the public about who was trying to speak during a, a, a public vote or a public hearing. Um, it, it seems unusual as to what would be there be about that sort of action or interaction that would be confidential. And it doesn't sound like they've given really any reason or any explanation what's sensitive about that information. No, they, they haven't at all. And that's why Senator Carpenter is pretty upset about this. And that's why transparency advocates are so concerned. In my experience, and, and I can't speak to anyone's state of mind, so I, I can't speak to why this is happening. But in my experience, especially at the legislature level, a lot of times we will get a broad, a blanket, a vague denial, in part because under the law, people are really limited in what they can do when they are denied records. So you can go to the attorney general's office and see if they'll bring action. But when you're talking about a group that the attorney general's office may have to represent at any given point, a lot of times the attorney general can't bring that action. So, I mean, are, are you suggesting they, they just don't want to release their records because they don't want to do the work? So this is the default or, or, or what? Um, I, I don't know if it's about not wanting to do the work. I have seen when dealing at the legislative level, especially at Wisconsin, there just tends to be a default toward secrecy. So it could be that they don't want to. It could be that there's something in there they don't want the public to see. It could be that this is just the standard response to open records requests. I don't have that information. E at even this though point. clearly the open records law in the state of Wisconsin says exactly the opposite, that the default is openness, the default is transparency, and Correct. that there are specific reasons or exemptions to not 
be transparent. Correct. And I look, I've seen a lot of times when we've been in big fights with government agencies who don't want to release these records. And then we get the records and go, what, what was the big fuss about? There was nothing in here that was that would have made anyone look bad. There was nothing in here uh, that would have gone against your interest to release. But for whatever reason, it became this fight. I shouldn't say for whatever reason. The reason is because of that tendency towards secrecy. So that could be the case here. It could be that these are very benign records that really don't tell us a whole lot, but we don't know because we can't see them. I imagine as a parent who's who's raised children, I imagine this analogy. My child may have nothing to hide in his closet. My teenager may have nothing to hide. But if I ask to look in his closet and he says, you don't need to look in there, there's nothing there. Right. I, I, need, I need to look in your closet because... That's my closet. I own the closet and I want to look in there. And that's essentially what's happening here is we want to look in this closet, this repository of information. Senator Carpenter wants to look in there and there should be nothing to hide. But they're saying, well, we don't really have to show you. And what makes this interesting and and your analogy is exactly on point, Brian, and it's what we said at the beginning of this podcast episode, right? You're the boss. These records legally belong to you. That's why the people who have them are called records custodians. They're just in charge of maintaining the records, but you own them. So when someone says you can't see something, sometimes there is a a good and legal reason for that. But in the absence of that explanation, that's when you get the public scrutiny. And that's when there should be public scrutiny, because this is information about how your government works, about how your state lawmakers are voting, about how these voting systems run. Another issue here is the how this relates to the law governing virtual sessions in Wisconsin. So in the state statute that outlines the conditions in which state lawmakers can vote virtually, one of those conditions, and it's a non-negotiable condition, is that the public can still participate. So if you now have the public unable to see part of what happened, is the public really being allowed to participate? So you have a potential violation of the open records law, but you also have a potential violation of other aspects of the law. And as we rely on technology, we may be in a position where we have to have another virtual session. These are important questions to ask if the bureau that is in charge of the technology is tending toward secrecy instead of transparency. Well, and we're doing this in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic. So I think this might be a great analogy to sort of sum things up. And that is we're hearing now from health experts, from scientists who say that sunlight, that light is a disinfectant for COVID-19, that in fact, light uh, and, and heat combined to uh, to kill the virus. And I won't go where uh, obviously the controversy has gone over the president's comments about uh, disinfectants being ingested into the body. But I will say this, when we talk about open records, we often use that analogy. Sunlight is the greatest disinfectant. The ills of society are often what occur in secrecy. And the whole point, I know you're a passionate advocate for, for open records, Amanda, and you've done so many stories on the subject of open records. And it's easy to sometimes maybe as a listener or a viewer to sort of glaze over when you hear open records, open records. Maybe that sounds boring. But in the end, so many things about what your government leaders are doing, the people you've elected, so many of the things that are going on behind the scenes are things you have a right to know and have a right to see. But those government leaders don't want you to see them. That's why this is so important. And I look at our coverage, uh, for example, of some last minute changes to Wisconsin's COVID-19 response bill. 
the reason we were able to see exactly what changed, when it changed, and then look at how those changes affect people is because those records were available for public viewing. So that's why these voting records, while they sound dry and they sound boring, and maybe you yourself don't want to go through these in your free time, that's fine. That's, that's what our role is. When no one can see them, that's when it becomes a lot harder to hold the people that you elect, to hold the people that you pay accountable for the decisions they're making on your behalf. Well, this won't be the last time we talk about open records, and it certainly won't be the last episode of Open Record. As we continue to cover the COVID-19 pandemic, we are bringing you these episodes every day, Monday through Friday. And we still want to hear from you if there's a topic you want us to discuss, an issue you think we should investigate, please send us an email to theinvestigators at fox6now.com. That's T-H-E investigators at fox6now.com. Thank you to the people who make this podcast possible. Producer Pete, Dave Machuda, Suzanne Barthel, and Sarah Smith. Please subscribe to Open Record if you haven't already. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. I'm Amanda St. Hilaire. And for Brian Polson, we will be back tomorrow. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.